The book of Amos, starting in chapter 1. Amos is a uh, sheep herder and a fig tree farmer. And, you know, he's, he's well-spoken, well-read, so... Um, he, he's, you know, he probably does quite well with that, but he, he makes it very clear he is not a professional prophet. He is a landowner and someone who, you know, works the land and is not out trying to make a name for himself religiously. He, we see that he was prophesying during the reigns of uh, Uzziah in Judah and Jeroboam in Israel. So roughly the same time, probably slightly before Hosea, who we was, you know, right before Joel, we did the book of Hosea. Joel is doesn't give us the time. He was maybe a little later than that or a lot later than that, depending on how you look at it. And, and uh, let's see. At this time, Egypt was relatively weak. Uh, Assyria was, was particularly weak. Babylon hadn't really come onto the scene yet. And the nations of both Israel and Judah were were quite quite strong at that time, and so they were prosperous and they were feeling good about themselves, and they were turning pretty worldly, especially Israel. Amos lived in Judah, but he was called up to the kingdom of Israel to speak to Israel, uh, you know, because the Lord called him first, foremost, and only. But we know that Israel was. Um, was much more degraded than Judah. Judah would have good kings and bad kings. It would kind of go back and forth. Israel basically had one bad king after another. And although Jeroboam was particularly powerful and prosperous in a worldly sense, he was also particularly uh, worldly in going after other gods. So God was quite angry with him. And he starts out with a bang. In verse 2, it says, He said, The Lord roars from Zion, and from Jerusalem he utters his voice, and the shepherds' pasture grounds mourn, and the summit of Carmel dries up. Thus says the Lord. And he goes on to speak against the nations around Israel to begin with, kind of saying that the the nations around you are are going evil. So are you going to go their way? He talks about the destruction that he's going to bring on these nations. We see this, he speaks against Damascus, against Aram, against Gaza, against Edom. Well, maybe not so much specifically against Edom, but against Gaza for, for bringing captives to Edom. Again, Ashdod, Ashkelon, Ekron, um, these were Philistine. Um, and, and, well, Gaza is still, Gaza, not still, but Gaza is a... Uh, uh, a major city today of the Palestinian Arabs, um, but these other cities that were all part; these were all part of the Philistines at that point. Um, again, Palestine was a was a bastardization of the word Philistine because the uh, Roman emperor at the time did not like the Jews because they kept rising up against him. He named their land after their enemies. But he couldn't say the word correctly, so he named it uh, Philistine instead of, uh, I mean, Palestine instead of Philistine. Those people are different, though. The, the Philistines are no more, and Arabs filled the land. And so today, Arabs called, in that part of the world, call themselves Palestinians. But really, they're Arabs. The Philistines are gone. But the, the, most of these cities that were named were, are, are 
quite Jewish today. Ashdod, Ashkelon, and Ikron have been in all of them. And uh, the body of Christ, the body of Messiah, is at work very strongly in, in those cities, uh, probably perhaps more than any others in Israel. He also speaks against Tyre, and apparently Tyre also delivered an entire population to Edom. So that's strange. I, I guess they were working together. And Tyre, they had been uh, they had been allies during the time of uh, David and Solomon. So he says, and did not remember the covenant of brotherhood. So I will send fire upon the wall of Tyre, and it will consume her citadels. Okay, then starting in 11, he starts to speak against Edom. And he says he will not revoke its punishment, because he pursued his brother with the sword while he stifled his compassion. Remember, Edom is the nation of Esau, so... Uh, Esau was the brother of Jacob, and so they are very much related, the Edomites and the um, Israelites. And then finally he speaks a word against Ammon. So he's he's basically covered all the nations around Israel. And he says that the king of Ammon will go into exile along with his princes. And then we're on to chapter 2. And uh, now he speaks against Moab. So this is just a reminder that chapters were put in much later the chapters of all the books of the bible were not added by the author the author just wrote and then later people decided to put in chapter numbers and verse numbers so there's often a case where like this you see you know moab there's a continuation of chapter one and then he's going to turn so you know were i doing the chapters i might have put it after moab or after this judah section um, but the people who put the chapter numbers didn't do it that way. And so, again, he's speaking against the nation of Moab and talking about the transgressions of them and the punishment that will come against them. And then he also speaks against Judah. So Judah got to last, you know, a couple hundred years longer than Israel did, but Babylon did come against Judah. And so he says, for three transgressions of Judah and for four, I will not revoke its punishment because they rejected the law of the Lord and have not kept his statutes. Their lies also have led them astray, those after which their fathers walked. So I will send fire upon Judah and it will consume the citadels of Jerusalem. And so he's not leaving Judah out of this, but the Lord has called him to go speak against Israel specifically. So he lives in Judah. He did say Judah's going to have fire come upon him. Um, and the, Jerusalem's going to burn, which is all true hundreds of years later. But um, but he specifically called to Israel. So after giving this general, general word, he goes up to speak to Israel directly. And against Israel, he says, because they sell the righteous for money and the needy for a pair of sandals. So he says they're selling each other in slavery. He says they turn away the way of the humble. The, 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 those who come in humbleness and meekness, just like Moses, are turned away. Only the haughty are, are succeeding in this, in this uh, culture. And he says a man and a father resort to the same girl. So he's, he's saying there's you know, awful things happening. In order to profane my holy name... On garments taken as pledges, they stretch out beside every altar. And in the house of their God, they drink the wine of those who have been fine. So he's saying they come to to worship me, but they're using clothes that people put up as security. People would say, can I borrow some money? 
and I'll promise to pay you back. And just so you know, here's my best uh, clothing. And so people didn't have that much clothes like we do. That sounds weird to us today. But back then, you didn't have that many clothes. And so if you gave them your best clothes, that was as, you know, that was like leaving a huge deposit. That was something that you wanted back. And you expected it to be treated well. But people would take those clothes and then they would go to religious festivals and feasts in those other person's clothes. And the Lord said he hated that. And then they would use fines against people, take advantage of people with minute points of the law to, to get hold of their wine and then go get drunk on it on religious festivals. So basically God's saying, the things when you're supposed to be honoring me, you're worshiping yourself, and I don't like it. In 9 and 10, God's basically saying, I'm the one who destroyed all these nations before you after I brought you up out of slavery. And so now you're turning each other into slaves when I freed you from slavery? What, what kind of thinking is this? I led you in the wilderness 40 years that you might take possession of the land of the Amorite. Then I raised up some of your sons to be prophets and some of your young men to be Nazarites. Remember, a Nazarite is somebody who gives a vow. Uh, they don't cut their hair like Samson, um, like, um, like John the Baptist. They don't cut their hair. They don't drink any wine. They set themselves apart in certain ways uh, to, to be holy unto the Lord. Is this not so, O sons of Israel, declares the Lord? But you made the Nazarites drink wine, and you commanded the prophets, saying, You shall not prophesy. Behold, I am weighed down beneath you, as a wagon is weighed down when filled with sheaves. Flight will perish from the swift, and the stalwart will not strengthen his power, nor the mighty man save his life. He who grasps the bow will not stand his ground. The swift of foot will not escape, nor will he who rides the horse save his life. Even the bravest among the warriors will flee naked in that day, declares the Lord. So he said, you turned against my people, the people that were set apart as holy for you, to be a blessing to you for, from me, for me. You've gone against them and gone your own way, and so I will bring judgment against you, and no one will escape. And then on to chapter 3. He's saying, this word is against you, Israel, who are brought out of the land of Egypt. It says in verse 2, You only have I chosen among all the families of the earth. He said, You're a special set-apart people for me. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. So again, when we talk about that Jesus was made perfect through suffering, when Hebrews talks about, um, you know, do not be surprised at, at, well, Peter says, do not be just surprised at the hard discipline, uh, hard suffering, because that's how the Lord shows that he loves you. And Hebrews says, do not be surprised at the discipline, for the Lord loves you as a son, and what son is not disciplined by his father? And so you see the same principle here. You only have I chosen among all the families of the earth, therefore I will punish you for all your iniquities. He says, I have chosen you for a purpose, and you've turned away from it, so I will punish you to bring you back in line with my purpose. Do two men walk together unless they have made an appointment? Does a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? Does a young lion growl from his den unless he has captured something? And he goes on with this kind of thing. If a calamity occurs in a city, has not the Lord done it? So he says he is supreme and he will bring judgment. And do not think it is some random event. It is the Lord. Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret counsel to his servants and the prophets. 
So it's not, it's not a surprise how God is doing. God speaks to those who give themselves to him, who are set apart unto him. This man was just a farmer, right? He wasn't even a professional prophet, but he had a heart for the Lord. He had ears open to hear the Lord. And so the Lord used him to get the message out to anyone who wanted to hear. This is what I'm doing in the world. Most people, of course, would ignore him and they would get exactly what he prophesied was coming. But he said, I don't just do things in a vacuum as a complete surprise. I reveal my secret counsel to my servants, the prophets. A lion has roared. Who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken. Who can but prophecy? So, you know, Amos is overwhelmed with this. He he said, this is the mighty word of the Lord. He knew it. They didn't, you know, they thought he was a crazy man or whatever they thought. You know, a lot of times people think, oh yeah, he's holy, but what he says doesn't really matter because I'm really caught up in my own life. Or some people think, well, he's just crazy. Um, but Amos knows this is the word of the Lord. I was a happy farmer doing my own thing here <laughs> when God started speaking to me. So how does Amos take it? He said, a lion has roared. Who will not fear? He said, this is real. You, you need to wake up. He says, the Lord God has spoken. Who can but prophecy? He said, all I can do is speak the word of the Lord. You better listen. So he says, because of all your evil, an enemy, even one surrounding the land, will put down your strength from you and your citadels will be looted. So we know that Israel did this, um, I think it was roughly 40 years later. Uh, Assyria rises up, becomes powerful, and conquers Israel and does loot them. He says, so will the sons of Israel dwelling in Samaria be snatched away with the corner of a bed and the cover of a couch. So they were. The people of Samaria were taken away and they were made to live in other lands that were not the promised land. They, one of the major cities that they, uh, that they worshipped the Lord in was Bethel. Remember they, um, which I think is a very interesting word for today since that's a major church um, that, that apparently is teaching a lot of, a lot of things. I, I don't, you know, I've mentioned them before sort of vaguely. I, I certainly don't want to be against any particular church because what the Lord is doing is doing away with the entire church age. So speaking against a particular church seems like a waste of time to me, but, um, but you know, particular ones are really going out there and supposedly in their school, um, and, and obviously there's lots of churches called Bethel. There's one that's particularly famous. And uh, apparently they're teaching people all kinds of things to get away from using Jesus and using sort of Christianese tarot cards and um, just only speaking good, fluffy things that people want to hear. But don't use the word Jesus and, and that sort of thing. That's just what people online that have gone through their school are saying they do. I've never been to their school. So anyways, I find it interesting that and the similarities between this. Uh, and Bethel, the reason they would have called their name Bethel is that was a, I mean, that's where God spoke to Jacob. And, you know, that there was a reason that the people of Israel used Bethel as a major city because it had been uh, important to Jacob and, and others. It was It was very important during the time of the patriarchs. But what they made it was a city where they could worship a calf because the king did not want the people going down to Jerusalem to worship where God told them to worship. So they made Bethel this really important high place. And of course, the horns of the altar will be cut off. 
because God is always speaking against the high places. Only the best kings actually remove the high places in Judah. In Bethel, this was very rarely done. And they will fall to the ground. I will also smite the winter house together with the summer house. The houses of ivory will also perish, and the great houses will come to an end, declares the Lord. And then we're on to chapter 4. So this is interesting. It says, Hear this word, you cows of Bashan, who are on the mountain of Samaria. So they they worshipped a cow, right? And they And he's calling them a cow. So that's pretty interesting. They are what they worship. And God did not want to be um, represented by an idol because he is spirit. When we worship him, we become more and more spirit. We that we don't leave our body, we're still in our body, but we become more and more a spirit man when we worship him. They were worshiping a, an, a cow idol, and he's calling them a cow. That's never occurred to me before. So he's speaking against them for oppressing the poor, um, the needy for just getting drunk. And the Lord swears by his holiness, Behold, the days are coming upon you when they will take you away with meat hooks and the last of you with fish hooks. This is Assyria became famous for doing this. You will go out through breaches in the walls, each one straight before her, and you will be cast to Harmon. Enter Bethel and transgression in Gilgal, multiply transgression. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days. Offer a thank offering also from that which is leavened. And proclaim freewill offerings, make them known, for so you love to do, you sons of Israel. So he says, you're making all these sacrifices as if you're worshiping me, but you're not doing it with a right heart at all. God says, I gave you clean teeth in all your cities and lack of bread in all your places. So I've made you rich, yet you have not returned to me. Furthermore, I withheld the rain from you while there were still three months until harvest. Then I would send rain on one city and one on another city. I would not send rain. One part would be rained on while the part not rained on would dry up. So two or three cities would stagger to another city to drink water, but would not be satisfied. Yet you have not returned to me. So he says, I've, I've given little judgments to get your attention. So, but because I prefer... He didn't want to do anything more than necessary to get our attention. But he said, you have not returned to me. I smote you with scorching wind and mildew, and the caterpillar was devouring your many gardens and vineyards, fig trees and olive trees, yet you have not returned to me. So he said, first I withheld a little bit of rain, uh, not so much that everyone was completely starved to death, but enough that you were hurting, but you didn't turn to me. I sent all kinds of pests to to devour your crops, yet you didn't return to me. I sent a plague among you after the manner of Egypt. We're under a plague right now, this virus. Plague is an ancient word for virus. Virus is the same exact thing. It's just virus is a new term. Well, but plague is more general because it can be a plague of of locusts. Um, But when they have certain types of plagues, the the type that's usually mentioned here when it's generic, it's it's a virus. Um, They just didn't know the word virus back then. We created that word once we were able to get a microscope and see these things under a microscope. So he said, I did that to you. I slew your young men by the sword along with your captured horses. And I made the stench of your camp rise up in your nostrils. Yet you have not returned to me. So he said, I've done all these little things to get your attention, but you did not turn back to me. I overthrew you as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. You were like, so they had losses in battle. That should have gotten their attention. 
and you were like a firebrand snatched from a blaze, yet you have not returned to me. Therefore, thus I will do to you, O Israel. He says, because all these things I've done to get your attention and you refuse to listen, uh, prepare to meet your God, O Israel. For behold, he who forms mountains and creates the wind and declares to man what are his thoughts, he who makes dawn into darkness and treads on the high places of the earth, the Lord God of hosts is his name. So he says, I'm going to crush you, Israel. You will cease to exist. Now, certain remnant people will come out of there, but not in the same way as Judah. Judah's a little more clearly remnant people comes out. But you do see mentions here and there that some come out of all the different tribes of Israel into Judah. But the country of Judah is no more after they're overthrown. And then we're on to chapter 5. Hear this word which I take up for you as a dirge, O house of Israel. So this is like a lament, a song of of weeping for the downfall of Israel. She has fallen, she will not rise again. The virgin Israel, she lies neglected on her land. There is none to raise her up. For thus says the Lord God, the city which goes forth a thousand strong will have a hundred left, and the one which goes forth a hundred strong will have ten left to the house of Israel. For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, Seek me that you may live, but do not resort to Bethel, and do not come to Gilgal. These are the two major calf cities where they would worship. Nor cross over to Beersheba, for Gilgal and will certainly go into captivity, and Bethel will come to trouble. Beersheba, on the other hand, is in Judah. South, pretty, you know, south Judah in the middle of the desert. It's an oasis city in the middle of the desert. Seek the Lord that you may live. So he's saying there is a possibility some of you will live, but you got to turn around and seek the Lord. Uh, something that's just really interesting in this uh, so if you look in in uh, Revelation and you look at the women, there's the there's great harlot. And so we also know, we, we just went over it in Hosea when God calls his people great you know, harlot. He makes Hosea's wife a harlot and he takes her back. So this theme is clear, this, this theme of Israel as the bride and this theme as the bride turning away from him, becoming a harlot, and him taking him back. There's all these themes. In, in Revelation, you see there's the harlot and becomes greatly evil and punished. You also see the bride, the woman, um, who is chastised in the wilderness, but then many sons come out of her. Um, and and so you kind of see two different two different brides here, like that there's a splitting apart and a one one goes to utter destruction and the other has to be chastised and turned around in order for many sons to come out of her. And so we kind of see that with Israel and Judah where Israel is completely corrupt and is destroyed. Now some do come out of her because they're finally woken up, but it's a it's a much more minority few. It's a, you know, some do and that's what he's talking about right here. Judah is also chastised dramatically, and they are brought into captivity in Babylon. But in most of those, honestly, the numbers that we see historically, as as has been researched by others, is that maybe only five percent of the people of that were of Judah that went into captivity in Babylon came in back into the Promised Land when it was restored in the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. So not a big percentage, but still probably a lot more than from Israel. And so this new people was the people that God started over with and made much more pure and holy than the people had been in the past. 
And so this is maybe the woman of, of uh, Revelation 12. And so you see kind of these two different women and what it is. Well, they both represent his church, but you see a, a, a kind of going in different directions. And so the, the, we see the one woman is a complete harlot and she's just utterly destroyed. And then you see the other woman who goes through the same process but she lives by transforming from the woman into the many sons and, 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 and then becoming the overcoming bride that is made herself clean and pure for the Lord's return. And so just, I don't know, felt the, felt the urging to kind of go into that in a little more detail so you can see those pictures work themselves out. It's, it's a little more, uh, it's a little more focused in Revelation but you see these same themes working throughout the Bible when we read about all the different prophets. And so what does he say to us? I mean, that, that, that's all well and good, right? I mean, it's, it's kind of interesting to me, but does it, does it really matter? What, what it comes down to is verse six, seek the Lord that you may live or he will break forth like a fire, O house of Joseph. So this is a, a word to the bigger you know, family of God. But it's a word to each of us individually so that we're one of the ones that come out. And it will consume with none to quench it for Bethel, for those who turn justice into wormwood and cast righteousness down to the earth. He who made the Pleiades and Orion. So he's made, I, I made all the stars. And he's kind of, this is from Job as well. And changes deep darkness into morning, who also darkens day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them on the surface of the earth. The Lord is his name. It is he who flashes forth with destruction upon the strong so that destruction comes upon the fortress. They hate him who reproves in the gate and they abhor him who speaks with integrity. Therefore, because you impose heavy rent on the poor and exact a tribute of grain from them, though you have built houses of well-hewn stone, yet you will not live in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, yet you will not drink their wine. For I know your transgressions are many and your sins are great. You who distress the righteous and accept bribes and turn aside the poor in the gate. Therefore, at such a time, the prudent person keeps silent for it is an evil time. So he's saying you're doing all these kinds of evil and he laid them out pretty clearly. So I don't think I need to go about, but you're doing all kinds of evil. You're serving yourself instead of serving me. You're not serving my people. You're serving yourself. And it's so bad that even the prudent person keeps silent for it's an evil time and he doesn't even feel the need to speak. He says, seek good and not evil that you may live. And thus may the Lord God of hosts be with you, just as you have said. Hate evil, love good, and establish justice in the gates. Perhaps the Lord God of hosts may be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of hosts, the Lord, there is wailing in all the plazas and all the streets. They say, alas, alas. They also call the farmer to mourning and professional mourners to lamentation. And in all the vineyards there's wailing, because I will pass through the midst of you. Alas, you who are longing for the day of the Lord, for what purpose will the day of the Lord be to you? This is a powerful word for the church today. Oh, I'm going to say that again. Because I will pass through the midst of you. Alas, you who are longing, it's 18, you who are longing for the day of the Lord, for what purpose will the day of the Lord be to you? It will be darkness and not light. So you have today a church that's just thinking, not, a church that's kind of looking around seeing, man, this world is turning evil. Oh, I just can't wait for the return of the Lord. He's saying, what purpose will that be to you? You're missing it. It's happening. 
the Lord is going to do many things. The scripture is very clear. Many things have to happen before the return of the Lord that you're thinking about. Why are you living worldly ways? Why are you going after their ways? It, even if you're against what they're for, you're still playing in that game instead of giving yourself to the Lord and what he is doing. And so what is the return of the Lord to you? It will be darkness and not light. You understand when the judgment of the Lord comes, it's darkness to the world. But a people that are of God, but they're for the world, experience it just like the world experiences it. Cut yourself out of those things. Live for the Lord. Separate yourself that you are holy for the Lord and that you receive this transition that he's doing, this blessing of the Lord, his spirit, his way, his purpose, his transformation, that you become a new life, part of a new family and a new culture of what he is doing in this kingdom age. 21, I hate, I reject your festivals, nor do I delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer up to me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. So he says, the way that you're worshiping me, I reject it because you are living for the world, not for me. Just because you show up on Sunday and you do your little thing, he says, I'm not impressed by that. I want a life that's fully given over to me. And I will not even look at the peace offerings of your fatlings. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not even listen to the sound of your harps, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Hopefully you see the similarities between that world and the church today. Does the world look at the church today and see that is a holy set-apart people? Or does the world look at the church today and say, that's a people that has a bunch of ideas that are different than mine, but they look hypocritical and I, I don't see them as holy. They just look like people that are have a bunch of ideas and I'm against them. Um, this is what God was saying about the people of Israel. They, they worship the Lord on, on, you know, their version of Sundays, but they were for the world. They, excuse me, they worship the Lord. I think I said, but they, the rest of their lives, they worship the world. They live for the world. And he, he, God said, I want no part of it. Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness, like an ever flowing stream. So waters and stream are good thing, right? The the river of life, but we also have the cleansing flood, right? So in the time of Noah, and Jesus said it will be like the days of Noah. There was a flood that came and wiped out all the evil and only saved the family of Noah, those who are righteous and live for him. And so we see the same thing, justice rolling down like waters, a flood. You, got, you know, God promised Noah he's never going to send an actual flood again. But he told Jesus, he told Isaiah, there, it will be like the days of Noah. In other words, there will be a flood of the judgment of the Lord. And he will save those who live for him, just as he did in the time of Noah. Everyone else, just like he, Amos just said right here in this chapter, they will, ha, you know, they will be devastated. Even they think that they're godly, but they're really living for the Lord. And he's saying, I'm, I'm doing this as a blessing to you so you will wake up and you will realize what you are really living for so that you will turn back to me. 25. Did you present me with sacrifices and grain offerings in the wilderness for 40 years, O house of Israel? You also carried along Sikath, your king, and Kion, your images, the start of your gods, which you made for yourselves. Therefore, I will make you go into exile beyond Damascus, 
says the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. He says, you continue to seek after other gods. In other words, other worldly ways. You went the way of the world. You continued to mix in uh, worship of me with this, the worldly ways of the world around you who want nothing to do with me because you want to be relevant to them. You wanted to be like them. You wanted to enjoy the same carnal things that they're enjoying instead of enjoying my life, my pure, righteous life, living for me. And he says, so I'm going to bring this down on your head. And this is a, a bit of a downer message. Hopefully I've peppered it in with the the blessing that is coming. But when we get to tomorrow, he will absolutely talk about this blessing, this wonderful kingdom reality that he's going to bring about. But that is it for today. God bless you.